Thank you, Pastor. The, the kind words feel so unworthy, but I, uh, I accept it and I appreciate it. But glory to God for what he's doing in this house. Are you ready for the word this morning? All right, before we get going, I want to show you a picture. Chris, will you put that up for me? All right, so who's wondering, like, who this is? <laughs> All right, y'all are still asleep. All right, on the left is me at, like, a year. All right? On the right is my son, Ezra. For those of you that may be new, uh, that's my boy. That's my pride and joy. That's my man. And, uh, you know, people that look at Ezra oftentimes go, gosh, he reminds me so much of you, Austin. Much to my wife's detriment. Not just in the way he looks, but in the way he acts, in the way he talks, in the way he has sass. That's my fault. But in the same way that my son looks like me because he was cut from my same cloth, God's intention for our lives is for us to reflect him because we're cut from his cloth. So this morning, we're going to talk about how God uses our circumstances to shape us and mold us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I've entitled this message this morning, Own Your Threshing Floor. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for this word Lord, that is life, that is nourishment to our souls. God, I ask that you anoint and purify my lips to speak only your truth this morning. And God, I'm going to be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, how many of you, by just a quick show of hands, have heard the word sanctification before? Okay, great. So I want to just give you a brief definition because it's one of those words that can kind of be like, oh yeah, that's a, a churchies kind of word. Like, you know, what's it really mean? We hear it tossed around, but like, so what? Um, so Mir uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines to sanctify as to set apart for a sacred purpose or religious use. You could also say to consecrate, okay? Uh, it also defines it as to free from sin, the act of being freed from sin. You are sanctified when you are freed from sin. But Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology has a really different definition that like really caught my attention. It defines sanctification as the state of proper functioning. So like a pen is sanctified when it's used to write. Glasses are sanctified when they're used to improve eyesight. So we as human beings are sanctified when we are walking and talking and living in the purpose that God designed us for. So we're sanctified by being freed from sin through Jesus. And then we, in a sense, sanctify ourselves when we are obedient when we live that lifestyle reflecting who Jesus is. God's universal design for all of our lives is to be like who he is. Each one of us have a calling, each one of us have a gift, each one of us has a niche, but at the end of the day, we all are called to be like Christ. In everything we say, in everything we do, in everywhere we go, that is the call. 
Genesis 1.27 tells us that we are made in God's image. In God's image, we are made. And it repeats that kind of like three times. I think God's trying to drive the point home. Like, man, you're not just human. You're not just flesh and blood. You're not just dust turned to form. Like, I made you on purpose. I have a design for you. And John Piper has this to say about the image of God. The image of God is not so much something that man has as much as it is something that man is. Humankind was created to be a graphic image of the creator, a formal, visible, and understandable representation of who God is and what he's really like. So when you go to your place of work, when you go home with your kids, when you're here at church, when you're pumping your gas in your gas station, when you're shopping at the mall, or maybe you're not shopping at the mall right now, but whatever it is that you're doing, you, you were created with the design in mind that when other people look at you, they should see Jesus. Are we in agreement on this? Are we awake this morning? The more you talk to me, the better I preach. The faster I preach, the more you'll get to lunch, all right? <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> but because of the fall of man, impurities prevent us from accurately displaying Jesus. You know, we sin, we mess up, but God is holy, God is perfect. He can't sin, he can't mess up. And so we are, in a sense, we're adulterating the image of God when we sin. We're spitting on the, on the, on the original design of our creation. So there's a couple of analogies that God uses in, throughout the Bible that uh, many, many pastors preach on uh, to illustrate this, this process of sanctification, this process of becoming free from sin, this process of becoming like Christ. And some of them you're going to be familiar with. Some of them may be a little bit more, um, for lack of better terms, hidden in the text, not quite as on point. But one is uh, the melting of metals. When you melt metal or gold, silver, what happens is the impurities of that rises to the top and then gets scraped off. And what's left is the pure, unadulterated, original created form of that gem or that metal. Another one is um, the process of fermentation of, of grapes. You, know, you pick the grapes and you have, to, you have to smash on them and then you have to put them and you have to wait. Man, I could preach right there. I could just stop. Like the rest of my one, two, I, don't worry about how many pages of notes I got. I, I, I could preach right there on the power of waiting and how waiting, the waiting period, the waiting period, there's power in waiting. There's power in patience. God doesn't make mistakes in our journeys. And sometimes we see the end of the other of the corner. And then sometimes it is so long that we are just waiting and waiting, and waiting, but it's always fruitful. Waiting is always fruitful. But there's another analogy that the Bible uses to illustrate this, and that is the, the analogy of the wheat harvest. The wheat harvest. You know, and, and, and uh, if you know much about farming, you know that there are seasons, right? There's a season to plant, there's a season for rain, there's a season to wait. There's a season for more rain. There's a season for more waiting. And then there's harvest. 
When that wheat is mature, you harvest it in its time. And so when, when that mature grain gets cut down, it gets placed on what was called in ancient times a threshing floor. You ever heard that term before, a threshing floor? What a threshing floor is, is a round, flat plot of land. Uh, let's go ahead. And, yeah, there we go. Perfect. Can we dim these lights just a little bit more, Trevin, so we can see that? All right, so it's a round plot of land that's either compacted dust and dirt or it's, or it's rocky. All right, we'll get, to the, we'll get to the purpose of all of this stuff here. But um, it was also on top of a, usually on top of a hilltop. And the reason being so that wind could, could aid in this threshing process. Again, I promise we'll get to it. Go ahead and put the next picture up. <clears throat> on the left, you see what's called a winnowing fork. We might call it a pitchfork. Back then, it was called a winnowing fork. What, in the middle was a, a plank that had just rocks just shoved into it. The livestock would drag around on the threshing floor that would be separating the wheat from the chaff. We've heard that before, right? Separating the wheat from the chaff. It cuts it up. And then the little um, round thing is, I say, all right, y'all don't make fun of me, all right? Is it sieve or is it sieve? Come on, somebody talk to me. Sieve, okay. I have heard so much different this past week that my head, it just left me. All right, sieve, sieve. And so uh, the point there is it, it shakes and separates again, right? So the, the grain gets placed on the threshing floor. A livestock, if, if you were wealthy at the time, livestock would pull around that plank. It would break up the wheat. If you were poorer, the, the man of the house, the father or the son, the oldest son, would, he would drag it behind him. Long, tedious, painful labor. That's a heavy board when you add all those rocks to it. And then what the, the, the farmer would do is he would take the winnowing fork and he would scoop it and throw it into the air. And the chaff is much lighter than the wheat. And so the chaff would get blown away with the wind and the, the usable wheat would just fall to the ground. And then what was left still would get put into the winnowing basket or the sieve. And they'd shake it and they'd toss it and they'd shake it and they'd toss it, you know, like you do pasta. And the dirt and the dust and, and some of the smaller rocks, again, they fall out and what's left is the wheat. And then that wheat gets placed in a jar. And I don't want you to miss this. When that wheat gets placed in the jar, it gets sealed. And I don't just mean a seal like a don't tamper with me seal. I mean like a seal, this is mine. I own this. And you know where it goes next? The owner of the property's house. The father's house. The Bible, in, in, in multiple instances that you're going to see in just a second, likens man to wheat. We get tore up. We get separated out. Impurities need to leave us. And then what's left of us is the image of Christ. And that image of Christ gets sealed with a mark and the stamp of the Lord God Almighty. And it gets stored in heaven. For the, all of the rest of eternity, you are stored in heaven. 
Let's look at Matthew 3, 11 and 12. Verse 11, I baptize with water. This is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. All right, I want to read that same verse in the message. It's not on here. I just want you to listen. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for the kingdom life. The real action, though, comes next. The main character in this drama will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, then the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. God's not interested in leaving you exactly how you are. My wife's not even interested in me staying exactly how I am. Can I get an amen? I need to be better. God made me for better. So if my wife's not happy with Austin of today, in the sense that there's still room for improvement, you better be happy, babe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> But if my wife feels that way, how much more does creator God? My wife loves me with a love that I will never deny, that I will never question. But it still pales in comparison to the love of a father, to the love of the heavenly father, who loves you too much to leave you like you are. Let's put up uh, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. I want us to pay attention to that word tribulation for a minute. That word tribulation derives from the word in Latin, tribulum. You want to take a guess what that board with rocks in was called? A tribulum. So let's, let me connect the dots for you. Tribulations come into our lives and they put pressure on us and they just, they grate us in order to separate the weed from the chaff in our lives. You know, not every tribulation is, is put on yourselves. Sometimes they're cast on you. Sometimes they're things that are just natural parts of life. But there is not a single tribulation or trial or season of your life that is not for a purpose. Nothing is wasted with God. So let's dig a little bit deeper, all right? Tribulum, tribulum literally means a thing with teeth that tears. I would submit that God is interested and wants to tear some things out of your life this morning. That's heavy. 
I'm I'm not trying to go all the way down there, okay? But I believe that God, his purpose is for you to leave differently this morning than how you came. And sometimes it's easy for us to to give things up and surrender things up. And other times it takes some pressure and it takes something with teeth to gnaw it out of us. But it's for your good. So uh, tribulum derives from a Greek word, thlipsis. All right, Thlipsis was mentioned 21 times as tribulation, 17 times it's translated as affliction. But Thlipsis derives from the Greek word thlebo, which means to crush, press together, squeeze. I don't know about y'all, but there have been seasons in my life where it has felt like I had a wall on either side of me that I was just waiting as it inched in, and it felt like, where in the world am I going to go? This is going to squeeze me to death. And it hurt at times. Sanctification isn't always fun. Doesn't always feel good. But God was bringing something out of me, and I believe he wants to bring something out of you, that you didn't know you were there, and that you wouldn't have known you were there had had not had some pressure to force it out. Tribulum presses grain to the ground to separate and refine it so it could be used to fulfill its purpose. So grain is sanctified after it's been through the threshing process. It's then able to be uh, turned into flour or whatever food uh, ingredient that that farmer is desiring. But God uses the tribulations, or he uses the threshing floor to refine and purify us so that we can fulfill our purpose of reflecting Jesus Christ to this world. When you find yourself on a threshing floor, own it. Don't let it own you because God is using it. It may not feel like it, but he's using it every time. And there are times when you might be laying on that threshing floor and you're going, nothing's happening. I don't understand why just I'm down, why things are just dark, why they're just gloomy. But sometimes we need to be separated from ourselves, separated from even feeling like God is right next to us in order to force us to turn towards him. How many of you know that it's easy to not turn to God when things are going great, but when things get tough, when when your spouse gets sick or your kids go nuts or you lose a job or a pandemic, God's using it. I don't have all the answers this morning. I'm not going to sit here and prophesy into your life and tell you that I know, you know, the ins and outs, but I know for a fact he is using it. Don't despise it. Luke 22, 31 through 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. This is Jesus talking. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when you have turned again, may strengthen your brothers. 
So Jesus is saying that the devil, Satan, came to God the Father and asked, and not asked, demanded permission to put Simon on, his, on this threshing floor, to beat him up, to sift him, to try and get the God out of him. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's my boy. I'm going to pray for him. You're going to have faith, Simon. And when you come out of this, I'm going to use you to encourage your believers around you. It's not for nothing. Romans 8, 28, we know this verse. And we know that God uses all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. But remember, we're all called to one thing. Reflect Jesus in this world. Genesis 50, 20, we've, we've quoted this so many times that we didn't even know where it came from out of the Bible. We, didn't, we don't even know the context of this when we say it, but you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph's brothers, this is, this is Joseph talking here. Joseph's brothers cast him into a hole to die out of jealousy. Remember, sometimes we put tribulation on ourselves, sometimes other people put tribulation on us. Left to die. And then he was taken to Egypt, and he was put in charge. I'm not going to go through the whole story. I don't have time for that this morning. But he was put in charge. And then his dad and his brothers in the middle of a famine came to Egypt where Joseph was, the only place where there was food in all of the land. And it was through the tribulation that his brothers put him through that fed the family. Don't despise what you're going through. Don't despise your circumstances. There's a reason why the Bible tells us when someone hits you on your left cheek, turn the right too. You don't know what it's for. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know that there's not going to be forgiveness in that turn instead of retaliation. The threshing floor, it's, it's a hard place. It's not always fun. And it's sometimes full of grueling labor and pain. But it's fruitful. It is always fruitful. The threshing floor is a place where tribulation puts pressure on you to pull things out of you that you didn't even know you had in you. It's part of the process. It's a place that develops us into the likeness of Christ. But interestingly enough, a threshing floor is where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed when God provided the, the goat. That same threshing floor is where Solomon later built the temple. And that's significant because it was on the threshing floor that the Holy of Holies in that temple dwelled, where God's presence literally met earth. The threshing floor may not be fun, but God's with you in it is my point this morning. You're not alone. The pain's not for nothing. 
God has a purpose for your life in the good times and the, and the hard. And there's n- nothing wasted when God is in it. James 1, 2 and 4, 2 through 4. This is a message translation. says, consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into open and shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. It has a purpose. It has a purpose. 